Good morning. I'm excited to be here with you today. I realized as I was driving up from Indianapolis that it's been a number of years since I've attended a chapel service. I attended Anderson University and as a student had a chance to share my testimony. So I am charged up about being here in chapel again and to be with you and to be able to encourage you this morning and to speak truth with love into your hearts. Let us invite the Holy Spirit's guidance. Father, we thank you right now for this moment, this time, as we've had a great time of worship, an opportunity for us to then reflect upon this time and season that we're in, and then also to reflect upon the reality and the truth of your return. I thank you for every person that's here, and I pray, God, your power and your word, your word would, would reach them in a, in, a, in a great way. And may this be a moment that will change us all. May we not leave the same way we came, having received something from you that only you could give us. We thank you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the promise keeper. Jesus, the promise keeper. The reality is that we, that we face in this life is that uh, oftentimes promises are made and not all the time we are able to trust or find a great confidence in the promises that are made. However, we must recognize when someone does make a promise, the first thing we do is we assess whether or not they are trustworthy. Because if they are trustworthy, then the promises that they make, then we put confidence in those. And I want to share with you this morning uh, from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14. Because there, Jesus makes a promise to us, and I want to then build from there. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, it reads, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, it says, and let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. A promise of the return of Christ has been given to all of those who put their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says to the disciples, now this is the, it's the final evening he's having with them before he goes off to be crucified, to be tried and then convicted and then crucified. And it's a moment where he's spending this time with them and helping them to understand that they should not be so concerned, but that he's going to go away, but he's going to come again. And the reality is that they're anxious about the fact that their Lord is saying, I'm leaving, I'm going away, and I'm go but he says, I, don't be concerned so much because I will come again. The reality that we face here is that in our day and time, it is important for us as believers, as those who anticipate that return, to be watchful. It was great to see that in the worship time that the verse was read, to be watchful, that the master not return and find us sleeping. 
I'm convinced that many t- in many cases, as believers, born-again believers, we have fallen asleep and we're walking around just going through the motions as though someone is sleepwalking. Because the reality of sleepwalking is someone appears to be awake, and they appear, appear to be aware but they're not conscious of the things going on around them. They're going through the motions. They may go downstairs, open up the refrigerator, grab some milk, put some milk in a cup, going through the process, appearing to be awake, but totally unaware of what's going on around them. So our Lord gives us and compels us to be watchful. The return of Christ and eschatology, the part of, of theology that concerns itself with the final events in the history of mankind, are two of the most debated topics of the Christian faith. My goal today is not to argue any position or to endorse any specific position. My goal is to emphasize the trustworthiness of the promise of our Lord to go and prepare a place to come again to receive His followers and to take them to the place He has prepared for them to live eternally with Him. While much time is spent debating the timing of His return and the events surrounding the return, I feel it much more important or much more significant for us to emphasize the implications of that return and how the return itself should implore every born-again believer through the watchfulness and the anticipation of that great day to go ye therefore and make disciples of all men. That in in fact, if we believe that Christ Jesus will return, and that when He does return, He will judge the nations, then we should feel a sense of need to share the good news of the love of God that was demonstrated in through His Son to suffer, to die for our sins, and then to be resurrected the third day, to ascend and go back to heaven, and then to come back one day to receive all of those who put their confidence in that truth. While we spend much time debating our position on how and when and what, the reality is Jesus, no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will return. But He causes us to be anticipating that return but also aware that there is much to be done because the truth of the matter is, as has already been sung earlier, that the soon return of Christ, that if Christ were to return, all of those friends, all of those loved ones, all of those people you know that you've spent time with who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will be judged according to their sin. And the reality of that anticipation of His return should compel us to be bold enough to step up and tell someone about the good news of Christ Jesus. The reality that He came and demonstrated the greatest love of all by dying on that cross and taking the penalty of our sin. This should compel each one of us. If we are watchful, if we're not asleep, if we're not walking around, sleepwalking, going through our rigorous uh, uh, works of what we do from week to week as a part of our Christian faith, 
or as a part of our Christian heritage. But acknowledging the fact that as we look around, there's much to be noted that speak to the return of our Lord. So the trustworthiness of anyone making a promise is always necessary for us to establish. And Jesus, every promise that he made, he fulfilled. One of the greatest promises he fulfilled was his promise of the resurrection. Because in John chapter number 10, verse 18, it says, No one takes my life from me, but I'm going to lay it down. And I have the power to lay it down, and I also have the power to take it up again. So here's the reality. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to lay my life down. And in three days, I'm going to pick it back up. He said, if nobody's taking it from me, I'm choosing to give it, just as I'll choose to pick it back up. Because in the resurrection, we see the trustworthiness of Christ because in that moment, no man, no one since and no one will be able to make the assertion that I'm going to lay down and die and literally physically be dead, but after three days, I'm going to raise up. So in the resurrection, we see the trustworthiness of Christ and His ability to make a promise. So in John chapter 14, he says, listen, he says, guys, listen, don't be so anxious about this because guess what? I am going to go away and I know it's going to be, be anxious times for you. He said, but here's the hope you have. I will come again. But I'm not just going to go away and just be gone. I'm going to go away and while I'm gone, I'm going to be preparing a place for you. That when I come again to receive you, there I am, there you'll be also. And the beauty and splendor of, of Jesus making an assertion that, that in his Father's house are many mansions, it's amazing to me because when I think about that, uh, I didn't grow up in a mansion. I grew up in a house, and sometimes it, the places we stayed in may not, may not even qualify as a house. It may be more like a shanty. So the idea that Jesus says his Father's house is so amazing that his house is filled with mansions. But he said, that's the place that I'll be prepared for you, and I'll come again to receive you. So it is in that promise that I want to encourage you, that Jesus promised that he would come again to receive us. In Matthew chapter 24, uh, it's called the, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is, is, is teaching from Matthew chapter 24 through Matthew 25, is one long sermon. And what happens is Jesus in this, in this 24th and 25th chapter, he's responding to his disciples. So as they were walking out of the temple, they walked out and when the disciples were, were wanting to impress him, so they said, Jesus, look at the beauty of the temple. Look at all the buildings. Look how, how, how wonderful they are. Now granted, think about this. They're excited to show their Lord their place of worship. And he says something to them that puzzles all of them. He says, not one stone shall be left on another. Not imagine that, 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 shook, that shook their very foundation. So as they're walking along, verse 3 of this 24th chapter, they come to him privately and say, Jesus, wait a second. Now you tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your return and what will be the sign of the end of the age? 
Because, see, here we have to understand that the first question that they asked is, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? That was established, that took place in A.D. 70 when, the, when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was literally, as Jesus said, no stone was left on another. So when we read Matthew, we have to understand that the rest of the sermon he's answering for us today, what will be the sign of your return? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So, he, so let me read that for you. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the, as the days of Noah were, so also will it be when the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will it be when the Son of Man returns. He says, as in the days of Noah, so we must first end. What were the days of Noah like? We find that in Galatians, in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that the every intent of the thoughts of, of his heart was only evil continually. That's verse 6. Verse, verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 11 of that sixth chapter of Genesis says, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So, Jesus says that even though the earth was corrupt, even though the earth was filled with violence, that the, the flood still caught them unaware. The truth of the matter is, because we have the example of Noah, we have the example of what, he, what Jesus has already given us, then it should not catch us unaware that when we look around and we see the world that we live in and the reality of the violence we see, the, rea the, reali the reality of the, of the corruption we see, and the Apostle Paul helps us with that because he makes a declaration in, in, in his, his second letter to, the, 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 to Timothy, his great disciple. He makes this assertion. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, hear what Paul says to Timothy. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And here he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, in the last days, perilous times will come. That word perilous is one that we don't use all the time, but it is one that, that we should be familiar with because it's in the Word, and it says to us that because perilous means a time full of danger or risk. The word perilous, also uh, other synonyms for, for perilous would be dangerous, uh, hazardous, risky, unsafe, treacherous. Would you agree with me that we are living in perilous times? 
And if the reality that we are living in perilous times, then we must also associate what Paul said about perilous times. He said perilous times will be the last days. And if truly we understand that we are in perilous times, and perilous times is an indicator of last days, then it should then turn our focus back to the reality of the imminent return of our Lord. Because if we then are watchful and anticipating that return, it should stir something in us. See, we have to understand that the greatest work of Satan in the earth is deception. And in deception, what he does, in, in deception, you want to deceive someone, or, or, and sometimes you want to distract someone. I believe oftentimes when it comes to the return of Christ, he distracts us with debating over our assertion of when and how and what, rather than us recognizing that he, he truly will come because he made the promise to return, and therefore, because he's trustworthy and every promise he's made, he's fulfilled, and that's the one that he's still yet to fulfill, that we anticipate his return rather than arguing the how. Because ultimately, when he does return, he's coming to receive all those unto himself who have put their faith, their confidence, and their, the assurance of their soul in the gospel message that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this is condemnation, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You are here in a great and awesome time of your life. In this season of your life is where God is, is calling. In this season of your life where God is, is stirring. In this season of your life where you, because you're in this, 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 this place of great academia, you are, you are searching, you're seeking, you're looking, you're questioning. In this time in your life is a great time for a true awakening. That you awaken to the fact that it's not just the Christian tenets of going through worship and, and, and having Bible studies and so forth, but is that we acknowledge the reality that our faith and our confidence is in Christ Jesus the Lord, and that in placing our confidence there, that we anticipate as he promised to return. But here's the thing. Every great person wants to be known by their last words. And here's what the, the, our great master left in some of his last words. Go ye Therefore, 
and make disciples. Your greatest calling as a believer, as a born-again person, having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, your greatest calling is to go ye therefore and make disciples of all men, of all nations. Some of you, God will begin to stir your heart about mission. Some will stir you about being pastors. Some will stir you about being worship leaders. Some of them, some, some God will, is already uh, drawing you into the medical field that you might be a doctor because even there, God needs disciplers in law. He needs disciplers in politics. He needs disciplers all over because if each one of us carries the burden of go ye therefore, whatever your chosen field is, you have to see yourself as an ambassador for Christ. Paul says we are like ambassadors for Christ as though God himself was pleading through us, be reconciled back to God. So whatever your profession is, whatever your studies are, wherever it may take you, go ye therefore, make disciples of all men, all kinds of men. I'll say this and then I want to complete my time with a prayer. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the apostle Peter is responding and he's trying to encourage the, 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 the believers. And here's what he says in this, verse, this ninth verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, the, the great promise to return. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Peter says the only, reason, the only thing that's holding Jesus back from returning to, to gather all the believers, he says the only reason that Jesus has not come is because God is long-suffering and he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to give everyone an opportunity to hear this truth. Everyone an opportunity to embrace the truth of who Christ Jesus is and to receive him into their heart. But even Peter speaks of the last days in verse 3. He says, now know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Walking according to their own ways, their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. He says, people will come in the last days, they'll be saying, well, we've been hearing about Jesus coming all this time. And we've been hearing him say, oh, he's going to, my grandmother told me, my grandfather. And you might even say that yourself. You may say, man, they've been talking about Jesus coming all my life. Well, your life's not that long, actually. Still pretty young. But watch this. Peter helps him with something because in the eighth verse, he says this. He says, beloved, don't forget this, that one thing that, that with, the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, 
And a thousand years is just one day. He says, listen, don't forget that with God, a thousand years is just like one day. And one day is like a thousand years. If we use Peter's mathematics, Jesus has only been gone for two heaven days. Why is that important? Because he says, God is not slack concerning his promise. Just as he promised to send Jesus again, he will. But he's long suffering because he's wanting for all to come to repentance. And that's where we come in. That's where we come in, the born again believers. That's where we come in when he says, listen, I'm gonna use you. See, why, if we ask ourselves, why did God save me? Why, why am I born again? What, me, my unique person, my unique quirky personality, the things I like, things I don't like. Why me? Why? Because someone just like you needs to hear the gospel from you because they'll trust you. They'll trust you because you like them. They may not trust me because they say, oh, look at him, he's on the stage, and I don't trust people of authority, but they'll trust you because they know you. And when you tell them about Jesus' love and you give the account from the first person, they'll say, man. Because watch this, in the court of law, the greatest type of witness in the court of law is an eyewitness. The person who was there and saw it for themselves. The greatest witness you will have in the earth in sharing the good news about Christ will be you. What he has done in your life. So if we understand that our Lord promised to return, if we understand that his return will then usher in the judgment of the nations, then we must then feel compelled to let someone know about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he desires to do in them. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. Holy Spirit, I know that now you are speaking to our hearts and touching us. Some of us feel challenged. Some of us feel a sense of urgency. Some of us feel stirred. But God, we also may feel anxious about the idea of going and making disciples. But the reality is, God, you, if you call us to do something, you already equip us to do it and empower us to be able to complete it. I pray, Father, that you bless each person here with a sense of the can-do, a heart of a will-do, and a spirit of a must-do, that we might fulfill the work and cause and ministry of Christ Jesus. We thank you for this time. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.